1: Be patient with me today with this cold open. I, I, I have something important I want to say about Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees home run hitter who surpassed Roger Maris last night in Texas, uh, hitting home run 62. This should be the biggest story in sports, but it's not, and it's not because it's an indication of how much we have destroyed America and destroyed American culture. Who the Jets play this weekend will be a bigger deal than what Aaron Judge just did last night, hitting home run 62. And there are two culprits for ruining this moment America and its instant gratification culture that we've established. That's why Major League Baseball looked the other way when all of its players were abusing steroids. That we wanted the instant gratification of all the home runs from Mark McGuire to Sammy Sosa to uh, Barry Bonds because we wanted to fix baseball instantly. And so everybody looked the other way as guys roided up and knocked home runs every which way. If we hadn't been an instant gratification society, what Aaron Judge did last night would be one of the biggest moments in sports and the biggest moment in baseball since Hank Aaron surpassed Babe Ruth. But it's not a big deal. It's a nice little deal, it's a nice little story, but it's not what it should be. Point number two of how we ruined the Aaron Judge story. This guy is biracial, he was given up for adoption, and he was adopted by two white parents. This should be an amazing feel-good story about second chances in America and how people rally around each other. And for babies, little kids given up for adoption, not wanted by their parents, this family, the Judge family, brings this kid into their home and raise one of the greatest athletes, one of the greatest baseball players now of all time. We should be celebrating this story and celebrating America and celebrating people like the Judge family that bring kids like Aaron Judge in their home and raise them as if they're their own kids. But we destroyed that too, because everything in America now has some kind of negative racial connotation. There was a family in California, another family, white family, that took Colin Kaepernick in, raised him up. He becomes a Super Bowl contending quarterback. But we've so racialized things and turned everything so negative, Colin Kaepernick put out a Netflix movie taking a dump on the very people who saved him and breathed life into him. That's where we are in America. We can't celebrate or appreciate the good things. The, the, the Christian things that go on here in America. We've destroyed it. Aaron Judge should be at the top of everybody's conversation today, but he won't be. Again, other than this, and we'll have a small little conversation about it today on today's show, but we're gonna move on and talk football and talk all these other things because we've destroyed baseball. We've destroyed American culture. We can't even feel good about things we should feel awesome about. Aaron Judge is an underdog story of the ages. an example of America's grace, mercy, and love for each other. love for humanity. But we can't celebrate it. he doesn't he he. We can't use Aaron Judge to further some narrative that America is some evil, racist place, so we're gonna ignore it. And we let a bunch of baseball players cheat their way to home run records, and so it doesn't ha- it's not as special as it should be. That's on us. We did that, all of it. We can wag our fingers at the left, but we allowed the left to do this. We allowed Major League Baseball to look the other way. It's on all of us. We spoiled the Aaron Judge story. Should be one of the most incredible stories in sports. It's not. We'll we'll do spend more time talking about the Jets and whoever they play this weekend. That's my cold open. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, So happy to have you here on this Wednesday. It is hump day, we're halfway through the week. Uh, The weekend's just around the corner. And man, this show is loaded today. We got all kinds of people in studio. TJ Moles back here with us in studio. Dave Shannon, Chocolate Knox, uh, here in studio with us. Jill Savage is here with us in studio. And of course, it's Wednesday, so that means Pastor Anthony Walker will be here. Uh, an incredible uh, show today. Steve Kim is going to join us as well Well, uh, as we talk a little football and we talk a little Aaron Judge. Shamika Michelle, she'll be here to help me make it make sense. Uh, so let's get right to it. I've, I've given you my best and biggest take, and so I wanna get uh, TJ and Steve Kim to respond to my take on Aaron Judge and how this moment will not be celebrated the way that it should be because we ruined it. We did that. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We ruined it. Uh, Steve Kim, I'll let you fire first. Uh, Aaron Judge and what he accomplished will not be properly celebrated or appreciated because we destroyed this moment. Your thoughts?
2: You know, you're going to hate me for this take, but I just want to start off with this. I speak for all college football fanatics across the country. I'm glad he got 62. Because if any more games got cut into with the half a buck, if I cannot enjoy Kansas, Iowa State on a full screen, I mean, Lance Leapold's doing a hell of a job, and Jalen Daniels, and I'm, I'm watching this going, oh, God, come on here's the issue though on a serious note
3: <laughs> yeah
2: baseball at one time was the number one sport along with baseball and then it pulled away and it had free reign football. over yes. our attention in terms of spectator sports but i've told you this last year and i'll say it again baseball might be our national pastime still but our passion is really football I mean, everything you said is true to a certain degree. There's no doubt about it. The home run race of 1998 between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and then a couple years later, the exploits of Barry Bonds, they re-energized the sport. But then you could also argue that they caned the sport. But I think there's an issue with baseball. And this is as someone that played the game. And I actually was a decent player, believe it or not. I wasn't great, but I was pretty good. Um, I find the game boring. It's slow. It's almost unwatchable, over-relying mm-hmm. on analytics. And, and, and one of the issues I have with baseball is that if you actually try to watch a game, the tempo is so slow. They need to do other things. And, and I've actually talked to people in the marketing departments of baseball. They're actually concerned ahead, that it's Steve. actually used to much more of an older audience. I think that's the bigger issue. I don't think people care about as much about as baseball as they did 20 years ago.
1: Man, I thought it just rained on uh, Aaron Judge's parade. You whipped your pecker out and pissed on it as well. My yeah, I God, know. Steve, I thought, Sorry, I'm i supposed to be Mr. Negativity. <laughs> you are? Oh, I disagree
2: with that. Totally disagree. I, I'm, there, there, supposed, I'm Mr. Negativity. Give me a break. I,
4: <laughs> you just proved that. <laughs> there, there's a further point to your, um, to, to your idea of instant gratification. And that is that because of that, baseball was going away anyway. The sport's too slow. It's not interesting to anybody yeah. my age. I, I don't have any friends who baseball is their favorite sport. And I live in St. Louis, where the Cardinals are the only thing going. And so <clears throat> we would way rather watch an NFL team that left our city and went to LA than we would <laughs> the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm just telling you. And so the, and, and we, Mark McGuire was in St. Louis, right? It was great. And there's a lot of people in St. Louis that disagree with me. I'm just telling you, the instant gratification Everything Steve said is 100% true for virtually everybody in my generation. It's not quite true for people his age, I don't think. Thank but you, TJ. I tell you. If I, hear, you. If, if I so, I'm sorry about that, Steve, to point out your age. <laughs> if I hear the, the words launch angle one more time, I'm gonna lose my good. mind. <sighs>
1: yeah. right?
4: That's baseball. I'm done with it.
1: And so, my point, <laughs> gentlemen, is I get that baseball is past its expiration date, as its national pastime. I'm well aware of that. I'm not a huge baseball guy. This moment, though, we could all feel the exact same thing we feel now. This game's too slow, it's boring, blah, blah, blah. But if not for all the instant gratification of 1998, and if not for all this racial demonization conversation we had in America, I'm telling you, we would have been caught up in this hunt for 62. We would have forgotten how much we don't like baseball. I didn't like it in 1998. I wasn't into it in 98. But Sosa McGuire (laughs) captured my imagination. And I started out a baseball fan. I love Mario Soto. I love J.R. Richard. I love Johnny Bench. I started out as a kid a baseball fan. And then I got off of it, and it was like, this is too boring for me. But in 98, I got caught up in it. And if we hadn't had this, this thing would be amazing. His story is amazing. He's adopted.
4: He, he Anyway, it would be an amazing, but well, we, we've ruined it. I still don't think it would be as interesting as 98, right? Because you had two. There was actually a battle going on, so you switch back and forth, in, in two cities that were rivals, right? Sosa was right there on the tail of Maguire. You didn't know if it was going to happen. That was an interesting storyline in the days of where baseball had to make a comeback. If it's one guy, I get it. It's still New York, but... I, I still don't think it would be as interesting. It's a, it's a dying sport that they're trying to figure out how to get people to watch. And then you have one guy who – how many games did he play? I'm, I'm with Steve. I, I know it took him at least two weeks because I watched a lot of college football games where they broke in and didn't let me watch. But, so he was stuck on 61 for a long time.
2: Yeah, Jason. You're a bad you influence
1: story. on TJ, Steve. You're a bad a influence.
2: Good. You know what? <laughs> Is bad being bad or bad meaning good? Now, look, here's the thing. About a month and a half ago, Mario Lopez, he had one of these fancy suites at Dodger Stadium. You know, you get your free food, you get the drink, it's it's hanging out, there's shade. And he goes, hey, Kim, let's go to the Dodger game. I'm inviting people. It's going to be VIP service. And it was on a Tuesday night. And I was like, nah, why not? I said, no, Hard Knocks is on you said, what do you mean, Hard Knocks? <laughs> I love Dan Campbell. <laughs> I think Detroit's a pretty good team. I'm enjoying That's one of my favorite series. And I told you this, Jason. And TJ, I don't know if I told you this. When Hard Knocks begins in the first week of August, that signals to me, oh, yeah, get ready for football. I've literally watched every episode of Hard Knocks ever since its inception in 2001. And, yes, I actually thought a reality series that I could watch back home on DVR was more important than going to a live Dodger game. That's just just that's just where I am right now. That, that's why I have like this almost this antipathy or apathy more like it for Aaron Judge or all of baseball. But I will say this, Jason, about the story about Aaron Judge's background. You bring up a good point. I did not know the backstory, but I think the problem is as touching as that story is, the problem is it involves two white parents. So at that point, it doesn't check a box. You can't even use it. I'm actually surprised they showed the parents at all.
3: Uh,
1: You know what's funny about this? Yesterday, someone irritated me on YouTube, and I hope you guys on YouTube are paying attention, whoever's in the chat or in the comments are paying attention. Someone in the uh, comments yesterday was talking about, all Whitlock does is have people on his show that agree with him. And I was like, how do you say that yesterday when me and Royce got into it and disagreed, Uh, me and Delano disagreed, and now I come out here with this feel-good take on Aaron Judge, and Steve Kim, you talk the most Christian person I know into going negative on me, T.J. Moe, my God. Thank God Dave Shannon's in the building and he'll be coming on next. I I, I, I gotta get some positivity in the room.
2: Give me a break.
4: Uh,
1: no, no he won't. He won't. Dave uh, likes
4: football better than baseball, I guarantee you. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, who we'll doesn't. TJ? We'll
1: I'm gonna move on. I'm, I'm gonna move on to a topic that I'm very comfortable being negative about. ESPN. Uh, Maybe maybe you'll feel warm and fuzzy now, uh, Steve. Yeah. I've Mm -hmm. got someone I can take a dump on. Uh, And and I'm bringing this up because you'll think, oh, Jason just loves to hammer on ESPN. He just trolls ESPN every day. I'm trying to make a larger point with this next video. I'm trying to hammer, buttress a point that I keep making time and time again. Jason Brown and I got into it earlier this week, got into this topic about these athletes as broadcasters. And again, I'm not. I used to be an athlete. I'm not. I'm all my friends are former athletes. Uh, I'm not hostile towards athletes, but I wish we would require them to know about what they're talking about. I, I love the ones that actually know what they're talking about. I can't stand the ones who don't know what they're talking about. And there's too many of them because we don't. Reco- they don't have to compete. No one ever, just like, again, I come on this show and I allow people to challenge my thoughts. And, you know, boy, I'm wrong. You gave me a new way to think about that or whatever. These athletes live in this protected bubble space where no one can question their stupidity. And the reason why people send me so many emails, oh, I miss you on Speak For Yourself. I love Speak For Yourself. You know why? Because... Guys would come on and say silly things, and I would correct them. And people enjoyed watching that. I might come on and say something silly, and the athletes would correct me. Because my ego isn't wired in such a way that I have to be coddled about everything that comes out of my mouth. And so, Steve Kim sent me this yesterday from Dominique Foxworth, uh, one of the beta males over at ESPN. And 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 I've met Dominique and don't don't have a real problem with him. He's just fallen into the ESPN beta male culture. Although I think he was built for the beta male culture, uh, but, but and I really don't have a problem with him. But I, that sounds like I do. But 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 I want you to watch this take, uh, and and about Tua and just I'll break it down for you about. This guy nails himself and other professional athletes to a cross, NFL players to a cross, and he's just clueless and doesn't know what he's talking about, but I'll explain. Let's watch.
5: It's frustrating to me to listen to and read fans and and media and everyone being all up in arms. Um, We all got to take responsibility. And I think Mike McDaniel, in that press conference, he should have taken responsibility. Don't pretend like you're out here um, protecting all the players. Take responsibility for the role that you played in that. And Swagoo's taking responsibility for not raising more noise before that. He's taking responsibility. All of us, and the fans in particular, need to take responsibility because it's not just these ugly hits that are a problem. Like, every weekend that there's football played, there are players out there who shake hands afterwards and feel fine, but they have gotten closer to having some sort of long-term issue or having some sort of CTE. So we all understand that. We accept that. And what frustrates me is all these people, fans in particular, pretending like they give a damn about Tua or they give a damn about football players all of a sudden. When we're in these collective bargaining meetings and we're arguing for to not have Thursday games after Sunday games, to have a bye, to not have a 17-game season, arguing to increase the pay of players because the risk of this game is so damn high, there are not fans up there fighting and throwing themselves all in a tizzy on Twitter because of that. They're yelling at us then like no get back and play football so just keep that same damn energy you give a damn about two and now give a damn about all the rest of the players in the offseason when we're trying to fight to have a second opinion we have to give up percentage points of our salary cap in order to force the teams to give our players a second opinion in doctors and don't nobody give a damn when we're doing that (laughs) sheesh
1: I don't, I'm, I'm just surprised he didn't start bobbing his head. Don't nobody give a damn about us when we doing that. I mean, this is what I'm talking about, this beta stuff. And this is what I'm talking about in terms of there's no resistance. These guys are playing seven on seven. Mm. Somebody needed to say, hey, bro, let's go talk to some coal miners. Let's go talk to the roughnecks that went up on these uh, uh, skyscrapers and fell to their death. Uh, building these skyscrapers, hotels that you live in or you you visit from time to time. This whole thing that oh God, these NFL players and what they go through. Oh, it's just incredible nobody gives a damn. You know why nobody gives a damn? Because you signed up, you volunteered to play a violent uh, to play mm. a violent sport and you're well compensated for it. You get to play a child's game for millions of dollars. No one is going to cry for you. I'm not crying for Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali. I'm not crying for Sonny Liston. I'm not crying for Conor McGregor or whoever else is in the UFC, John Jones. I'm not crying for Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray L- I'm not crying for Terry Bradshaw, I'm not. Fourth grade, TJ, or no sixth grade, sixth grade. This, this is me just a little sixth grade kid. I wanted to play football so bad and we, I was on a terrible team. Cincinnati Bengals, Northeast uh, Football League in Indianapolis and I was the only good player on my team. Other, Wesley Grounds was on my team, he was good too, but there was just two of us and we were terrible. But I I love football. And I can remember, I think we played on a Saturday. That Friday, I did something to hurt my back. And my mother sat up with me all night, rubbing Bengay on my back so that this sixth grade boy could go play football on Saturday. Mm My mother sat up with me all night, rubbing Ben, cause that's, mommy, you gotta put this Ben game on, I gotta play, I gotta play, I got I got a bad back. We didn't go to no doctor, we didn't do anything, just my back hurt, put this Ben game on it. And I went out there Saturday and balled out and played. Yeah. Cause I loved it, in sixth grade. And my mother was right there with me, that's how important it was to me. and so. This, how we've softened the culture this much. And I'm not saying what me and my mother did was responsible in sixth grade, but that's what I wanted to do and that's what these guys want to do. And so I've been so glad to see people like Tom Brady uh, came out with a statement of on the record about, hey look man, concussions are just part of the game. Jo- uh, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow came out and said it's just part of the game. And this whole thing now where everybody's sitting around worried about CTE, cut it, he's lying. And everybody knows he's lying because they've been playing this game for a long, long time with a lot less protection than they have now. O.J. Simpson has been to prison and back, murdered people and back, (laughs) ran for 2,000 yards. He ain't got CTE. That man looks damn good. Every time I see him on social media, he sounds intelligent, can complete... Sentences. He's not suffering from CTE. Jim Brown is damn near ninety; still got his faculties. Not the greatest, but uh, you know. But he's ninety. <laughs> Stop it! And somebody at ESPN <clears throat> put some resistance on these beta males. Run them off the air if they can't take it. It's driving me insane. That's my take. <laughs>
4: And, and, and well, so you guys want to go ahead and disagree and yeah, tell me how I stupid do. I am. Again, no, no, I'm, I'm a fan of that one. So <laughs> if, if CT, I don't believe in CT, but if it does exist, Dominique Fox really has it. And it, apparently it turns you into a beta male. Yeah, um, that, that's number one. The second thing is we do this societally to people. We do it with athletes, we do it with actors, we do it with people who have money. We think, oh, they've made it. So they must be right. They must be smart. And most of them are idiots and they get up and they go fully unchallenged. I'm telling you, there's a lot of really rich people that are really stupid. But they've got $10 million and they sit at the table and everybody nods along while they give their really stupid opinion that doesn't make any sense. Last part of what what, uh, Foxworthy said there was, he said, you know, everybody needs to take responsibility. He said, head coach McDaniels needs to take responsibility. Well, I guarantee you, and I'll bet we could find it, when Anthony Fauci said you need to take this vaccine, there was no second do your own stuff. It was listen to the experts. Well, are you supposed to listen to the experts yeah. only when it comes to a vaccine? Or do you listen to the experts who actually know yeah. something about neuroscience, right? How, how about Tua taking responsibility?
1: Because uh, everybody's talking about him going back <laughs> in that Bills game. And so literally, it, Tua's no different than me. in sixth grade. There's a football game, I'm playing. I'm gonna, I'll yep. deal with the ramifications. Afterwards, but I'm playing. You're going to have to drag me off this field. And so Tua, if if, there's a good chance, the reason Tua went back into the Bills game, if he was concussed, if he was concussed, is because he wanted to. And he may have lied to them about the symptoms because he wanted to play that bad.
4: I've done that. Have I I told you this story? We were playing against uh, Kansas. This is in college. And I got knocked out on the field. Right? Took a hand off, reached the ball out, somebody hit me at the same time, hit my head. You can see they zoom in on my face. I'm out. Tim Barnes, our center, Blaine Gabbard picked me up. I'm running while I'm out on the way to the sideline. I get to the sideline, and stupid question after stupid question. Hey, how would we get to the field? What are we doing here? How do we score? I was the one who scored, right? And my dad's sitting in the second row, and medical staff, me and everybody, we're good. Went right, didn't miss a drive. I knew I I was concussed as soon as I came to, and I wanted to play football. And that's what people who like football want to do.
2: Yeah. Guys, I've never checked the bio of Dominic Foxworth, but I think he's from Napa Valley because he's got a lot of wine. Give me a break. (laughs) I'm a fan. (laughs) I bear no responsibility. And he said it himself. This is on the players' union. You guys acquiesced part of your collective bargaining agreement which the players association has infinitely more say than a fan uh they're to blame put the onus on them that's the reality of the situation and by the way part of this new concussion protocol whether you think it was too light too easy too lenient or very flawed none of it actually it's like the team doctor the neurosurgeon third party But they don't go to, all right, now let's check in with the fantasy league owners. What do they think? I mean, how many leagues are on the line if he doesn't get? They don't even have a hotline. 900, hey, fans, yes or no, should Tua play, call in. This ain't American Idol. The other thing is, though, this is all part of the new thing that began in 2020, the more than an athlete thing. Can we be honest about it? Look, I got some Miami garb on. I'm making a stupid decision to go to the UNC game. I'm going 3,000 miles to see my beloved Hurricanes. Now, those young men that suit up for the U, um, I don't give a damn about their biology degree. I don't care about their GPA. I care about the game. I like the football program. I'm not going to lie about it because that's the most honest way to be about it. Yeah, do I want these kids to do well in their life? I guess. But at the end of the day, I'm there for the football game and the football players. I I mean, if I went to an Anita Baker concert, paid good money, and I love Anita Baker. She's a very important part of my Sunday yoga. And she just walked out on stage and she said, you know what, guys? A lot of things have been going on with my life, and I'm more than just a singer. That wouldn't be good with me. I'd be like, nope, nope, nope. There's no one in the world I want to see. So I don't care what's going on just because uh, I better hear some sweet love. Get your ass out there, Miss Baker. I love you, but you are a performer. Do your damn job. I'm sorry. I I don't get this. Like, Guys, if you called a plumber or a carpenter because you had some issues around your residence and they showed up and they got all their tools out and you're thinking, okay, honey, don't worry about it. We got this fixed. None of them ever say, God, you know, guys, I'm really worried about society. There's certain things that really worry me about white supremacy and the economy. And I, I, I don't think I want to do the job, but Hey, pay me. It doesn't work that way. And I think it's all part of that movement of this activism. And it's funny. I would love to have gotten the real reaction. I think it was Jeff Saturday. That was next to Dominic Foxworth, because you know that he's probably thinking, are you crazy? But, but he can't say it. So you can't even have an honest discussion. Look, I am not, questioning the sincerity of his statements. He believes that, he believes that. You're telling me that whole panel actually agreed that responsibility is shared by the fans? I find that very hard to believe.
1: It's, it's hard for me to believe that, it's hard for me to believe that they've created an environment. Well, and again, it's because Dominique Fox, Foxworth is black. And so Jeff Saturday's afraid to challenge him because he's afraid yeah. of what Twitter will do. Uh, and and so they've just, they've created space for all these guys to be betas, to be cowards. Yeah. And, and, and they're all just like running towards it. And so Dominique Foxworth is sitting there. I'm telling you. He was doing a little, he wanted to do the little head movement and all this other stuff, but he knew his wife might be watching, and, you know, that's the only stuff they do at home. I, 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 anyway, I, let me stop, because I'm, I'm
2: Jason. I'm let me make, personalizing, I make that I'm point. taking pot shots. Yeah, well, here's the other mm-hmm. issue. In, in terms of the responsibility of, of whether you want to play football or extend your career, two names come to mind, uh, Patrick Willis and Megatron. Calvin Johnson, they they both, one of them's in the Hall of Fame. I think Willis still should be in the Hall of Fame. But they decided, with a lot of good football left in their body, that, you know what, I've had enough. I'm thinking 25, 30, 50 years down the line. I've made my money. I've lived responsibly so I can retire from the sport with honor and grace. And I think there was a linebacker that played at the University of Wisconsin. His last name was Borland. After a year or two, he yeah, had a pretty Chris, promising yeah. start. Yes. He was drafted in the second or third round by the Niners. And they really thought, okay, that's our middle linebacker for the next decade. He decided, you know what, my body's wore out. You know, and I respect their decisions. I didn't actually see a lot of people ripping them. It was their body, their choice. Remember that phrase? And everyone respected it. Nobody to this day is ripping any of these men from walking away from the sport. So, again, is it on the players or the fans how individuals – handle their own career
1: totally agree thank you steve great job as always uh, go to youtube.com slash jason hit notifications hit subscribe you can email me us at fearless at uh, we're going to do some make it make sense with shamika michelle and dave shannon
4: thanks
1: Welcome back. Uh, Time to do a little make it make sense. And I've got two people that are going to try to help me make sense of this uh, latest video, uh, which I think says it all. Uh, I think Saucy Santana and Trina have put out a video uh, directed at, I would have to assume, black voters. Uh, And so here's what Somebody, Saucy Santana, Trina, whoever paid them, here's what they think about about black voters. Here's how they think you should try to attract black voters. Let's play the video.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we got one. <laughs> it's voting season, bruh. Now voting, now it Now no voting, now touch. Now vote in, no nothing Bye. No vote in, no fucking No vote no fucking now vote in, no loving now vote in, no, nah. no, no touching oh. No voting, no nothing No voting, no fucking. no votin', no fuckin' BLK app looking for some action Swallow so homie stop was okay. Faces a nine, abs a ten D is a mm. to be determined <laughs> He got mad jokes He don't seem broke, the only red flag He said he don't D- vote This D- 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 mid-turns for all the single cues Wanna hit this booty, gotta do your civic duty No in, no loving. No, no in, no touch. Now, bow in, no nothing. Now, bow no fucking, no bow no fucking. Now, bow in, no loving. Now, bow in, no touch. Now, bow in, no nothing. No voting,
6: no bucket, no voting, no. Yeah, voting. don't stop now. Stop my ball box again. But my homegirl through, put the in protestant. Politics be so nasty. Make me wanna throw just Show you how to be a poor worker. uh legs in the air, I don't care. Anyone could get it, universal health care. If you wanna come, come before the deadline, come in the jacuzzi, Jerry Mandadis coochie. No voting, no love, <laughs> no, no, love. love. no, no voting, no
3: touching. No, no voting, no nothing. No. Can't let me down, gotta stand up for something. <laughs> no voting, no love now found in i'll turn up talking in i'm not no man no blk we gonna stand up for something <laughs> yeah that's yeah. right now found in i'll no love now found at the coach is the goal go hit the pause period
1: there are uh, societies, countries, uh, places in the world where somebody would have to die for putting out that video. And, and, I, and I say that in all seriousness. That there would be serious ramifications for, for someone saying, you know what, this is what we think about you and this particular group of people. And this is how we're going to try to attract you to vote. Somebody would pay a real consequence for that. And uh, perhaps, you know, some people, maybe those societies are depraved. I don't know. They stand for something. We don't, clearly. Uh, Shamika Michelle, Dave Shannon here with me. Shamika, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, Make that make sense for me.
6: Jason, I was hoping you would go to Dave first so he could speak some peace into the atmosphere because this has really pissed me off. You know, I I, I, I want to be nice. I'm going to do my best, but I'm feeling like Macy Gray. When I try to hold back, I choke. When I try to be nice, I stumble. This is such ridiculousness. I don't even... When I was a child, if someone had asked me what black culture was to me, I would say going to church on Sunday mornings. I would say Chuck Davis and the African dancers, the Bembe Festival, ruffled socks and patent leather shoes. I may even say, you know, Ernie Barnes who painted uh, the, the paintings on Good Times. Or even, you know, when I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall and in the back of my mind, I hear my conscience call. I would not ever think that something like this would be mainstream. Because when I was growing up, we pushed up like that. It it wasn't seen. It was shamed. And now this is what we put to the front. And I'm sick of people saying that that Black culture has not changed. Black culture has not declined. We should not be saying this type of stuff in front of white audiences. Yet this is what they are putting out where white audiences can see. black has certainly declined they have done to black culture what a strip mall would do if you added a rainbows and a church's chicken there would be potholes all in the parking lot there would be a drug added in the parking lot selling a used pair of pillows this is what has happened to black culture and it just makes me angry that you actually have people that are defending this that are saying oh you know if you find offense to this that That means it's not for you. They have to reach everybody that they can reach. I would like to give a shout out to KRS one and Chuck D and people that actually thought that we had a brain and they wanted to bring Mm -hmm. us up a a notch opposed to coming down and meeting black people in in idiocy. What level is this that y'all claim that we people need to meet? just because they are black. This makes me angry. And what makes me even madder, Jason, is that you have Trina, a 40-year-old woman, over 40 who should know better who should be an example who is pushing such irresponsibility it makes no sense i can't even say nothing about saucy santana because i can't expect a man who doesn't know that his rectum is for excreting waste to choose anything other than foolishness but i look to to her who is of age over 40 And this is what you're pushing when you know better, when you saw a generation that was doing better, that had some class. (sighs) I'm sorry, Jason. This makes me angry because Steve Kim said it best when he said, you show what you think about somebody with your expectations of them. And the fact that this is the expectation of black culture right now, to to get out and vote because of this, it it, it pisses me off.
1: Dave?
7: Well, I'm going to help you all out. I'm going to bring some peace, Shamika. You guys don't understand. This is actually a good thing. This video, I'm going to make it make sense for you guys. This video is an abstinence video. See, the Democrats know that the black culture right now really do need to be working on sex only inside a certain context of commitment. And so they move that commitment to voting, and they know that the conservatives are going to stop black people from voting at the polls. And so when the black guys go out to vote, they're not going to be able to vote. So then they're not going to be able to get none. <laughs> and since they're not going to be able to get none, it's going to fix the abstinence problem that they have in the black community. You guys are just looking at this wrong. You guys need to have a better spin on this to understand what they're trying to do. This is one of their great ploys that you guys can't see past like Black Lives Matter. And if you guys were in tune with what they were doing, you were able to see how this is a great thing. Uh, ooh, that hurt. Uh, I ain't going to lie. That, that, that took a whole lot of work to pull off. I don't, I
1: don't That's you know, pretty good. Yeah, I, that, I I'm that, just trying to make it make sense yeah. for y'all, you uh, know. That, that's pretty good. Right. All right, now you've given your sarcastic take. <laughs> now give me your real take.
7: I I think this is really interesting. Sometimes when we look at the left or we look at uh, liberals or we look at people who are in the world, we think that they don't have any sort of commitment or covenant realities, right? We think that they're all gone. There's no moral value there. But that's not true. If you look at this video, what they've done is they move the bar from no sex until marriage, which is what the standard is, to there's only sex after voting. So they have a covenant commitment, but they have a covenant commitment based on a governmental idea and and of uh, in value and they move the bar from no sex before marriage to only sex after voting and they're allowing this is a, it was so weird to watch the video they're allowing a guy who is dressed up and acting like a woman to tell women not to give men any sex until they vote
1: mm no I think you misinterpreted Saucy Santana he he's he's saying and the video is saying that black men are switch hitters, and that in order to get with a black woman, or to get Sa- Saucy Santana's booty, he said something about no booty, blah, blah, right, you right, get right, this right. booty. Right. He, he's basically saying that you know many of y'all are switch hitters, you've been in and out of the penitentiary, I know how you get down, and you can't get none of this right. unless you vote.
7: But notice that the imagery wasn't him who was back and forth, on the dating app because there's still a yuck factor to it right? They, they definitely tried to play the thing that is beautiful. He ain't beautiful. That's gross and nasty. They didn't have him with some other dude on a dating app talking about, hey, you can get it and him taking a picture of his booty, showing it to another guy because they know that doesn't work and that doesn't play. So they had to take cover just like the whole homosexual movement has done and hide behind and take cover of black people, right? Like, so you look at the whole civil rights movement, the homosexual movement have been behind waiting for their opportunity to take charge. They're still trying to cash in their chips. He's doing the same Thing. They didn't go a straight pro gay thing because they they know that wouldn't work with us.
1: Ah, Dave, I you can get gayer than that video. Oh, Th- yeah. there's there's an extra there's another layer. But I, have, I, have I, you I, been
7: to Atlanta, <laughs> <laughs> Shamika? You gotta help me on this one. You know you can get gay than that video.
1: Yeah, yeah, be the arbitrator. Can you get gayer than that video, Samika I, I don't know.
6: It, yeah, you can get gayer than that video. Have you seen the video where it's like, um, you wanna do it in my butt, in my butt? You wanna do it in my butt? Oh, there is a gayer video. But can you imagine Martin Luther King fighting for civil rights in some tight pants and press-on nails? Could you imagine Rosa Parks talking about Jerry gerrymandering this coochie? What, what is wrong with us? What's wrong? And what is wrong with the people that turn a blind eye or continue to say, y'all are being judgmental. Nothing has changed with black culture. Lies, lies. Well, what
1: they're really saying, what I hear the most is, what about January 6th? What about Mm -hmm. the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers? That's the real problem. If there were no Proud Boys, the, the, the we and if, the, we wouldn't see Saucy Santana. This wouldn't be happening if there wasn't gerrymandering. If it wasn't for the white man, everything with the black man would be perfect, and we'd be mm-hmm. living in Wakanda. See, they don't have these problems in Wakanda, uh, you know. So I I, I I this whole thing just it's an insult. It's a slap in the face. It it. it Shamika, you kind of hinted at it either in private or maybe you said it, we've talked and I can't remember, maybe you said it on this show, I just can't remember, but I, I, I watched that video and it's like, I, gotta disasso- I don't want to be associated with this at all. This ain't it, this ain't me. Right. This is, I don't want to be, don't confuse me with that. And, and and don't attach any. And so it's for the first time in my life, I'm just like, just call me a Christian. Take the black <laughs> off of it. I, I'm not a part of this black culture. Don't invite me to none of the events. I don't, I don't. And maybe that's why I haven't been to Atlanta. Because if this is Atlanta, I, I you know, I miss me. And I used to love Atlanta.
7: Yeah. I, you know, I don't think this is black culture. I think this is what social media makes us think. I think social media, all those views aren't views of hey, let's get behind this and let's support it. I think social media has a uh, ability to make us think that small things are bigger than what they are. Now, is black culture in this desperate way? There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. But I think that there is a very strong black culture out there that sees this and says, this is not represent us. And they've been out there for a long time. They don't get the mic in the same way. These are the black people who are doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. They're raising families. They're loving their neighbor. They're building church okay, communities.
1: Okay, Dave. Here's where I'm going to disagree, though. Okay. And I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, no, no good because again they're trying to bait black Democrats liberals into voting yeah 90% of us vote for the people that put this video out yep and and 90% it's it's a bad look that we're not jumping ship that we're not saying this is a bridge too far that 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 the people, the party we have all this allegiance to, is saying this is who y'all are: Saucy Santana and Trina, yep. and and throw your legs up and gerrymander this coochie. Uh, if you want this booty, you got to go vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You, you got to, you can't say anything about drag queens at schools. You, you can't say anything about surgical. Uh, Trans- castration yeah, 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 yeah. and transgendering kids—you you, you can't say nothing about nothing. You must, you must—same-sex marriage, all you gotta adopt all of it to be a part of this political movement. And and this is what again—I'm thinking—I can't remember who does Ice Cube had a song where go, "This is what they think about you." This is what they think about you. This is what Shemika, you can help me out. But that's what just kept running through my head. It's like, this is what they think about us. It's just offensive to me. uh. I'm I'm still trying to figure out how the large
7: majority of black culture even would support abortion. When I talk to black pastors, I talk to my friends that are in the fight. The, what they tell me is, listen, those aren't my values, those aren't my principles, but I hold to a lot more in the platform than what they're marketing out there That's what they'll say and they and i, I I'll say the same thing you say, Jason, which is why don't you come to a place that will allow you to be openly Christian and engage? and mm-hmm. I think that um, part of part of what they're trying to do is say we've had. We've been in the Democratic Party, we've been fighting the Democratic Party, and we're going to continue to fight in the Democratic Party. Last time I was talking with you, some a bunch of people hit me up and said, what do you mean there's no pro-life Democrats? Um, they, they came out, I was like, I wish you guys would come fighting at me about the pro-life Democrat stuff the way, you know, at this other side that way. The way that you guys want to come out at me about saying there's no pro-life Democrats. I don't, I've never seen you guys in the public square. And it's because they stick together so long as they can get the things they want. They're promised certain things and they're taking the bait. Um, I don't think that is their moral value. They just have, um, they just have not decided that that's a bridge too far yet. And I'm wondering what it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to take, but I just want to keep letting them know there's a place for you over here to fight. There's a why don't you be a Christian, stand up and let them kick you out, stand up, fight against it. If you're going to fight against it, if you're going to be in the Democratic Party, if you don't like stuff like this and you are a Christian, then stand up and show me how much Christianity that you have in you and fight up against some of this stuff. That's what I like to see. I'm not
1: even arguing for change parties necessarily. Their argument would be, okay. Uh, will you fight against the racists in the Republican Party? Watch me. Obviously, you ain't
7: watching me, right? I don't fight. I'll fight against anything that's immoral anywhere that I see it. If it's, I'm a Christian. When the God standard is being broken, people are being <laughs> lied to, they're being stolen, they're not stolen from, they're not honoring God. I fight for all of those things, no matter where I'm at. The problem isn't where I'm fighting at because I fight for those things. The problem is I'm not seeing you fight anywhere for those things in your
1: platform. The other thing I heard, Dave, from you. It is basically it reminds me of a famous scene in The Wire, my favorite TV show. Even though Dave Simon doesn't like me anymore, it's still my favorite TV show. But Slim Charles, one of the stars in the later seasons, three, four, and five, I think. Uh, I think he, he explained to in season three. He explained to uh, to uh, Avon Barksdale about yeah we got into this war, and we figured out what we're actually fighting about is a lie, but he said, we're gonna fight we're gonna fight on this lie mm-hmm. and it was basically an analogy that they were making to George Bush and weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. It's like we entered this war on a lie now that we're in it, we're gonna stand on that lie and just continue to fight. That's what I see mm-hmm. happening we 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 bought into this whole Democrat thing on a lie that, oh my God, this other party is evil and we're your best friends and we got policies that are going to liberate you and put you on equal footing with, black people, uh, with white people. And really, what they no, we're gonna emasculate your men, destroy your family, uh, dumb down your kids, make you totally dependent on the government. But it's like, we entered this war on a lie, and we're going to stand on this lie, and we're going to fight on this lie. We're come hell or high water. It's like, I've chosen the lane, and I'm sticking with it. Shmeek, I'm going to give you the final say. Take as long as you want or as little as you want, and. Uh... Y'all haven't made it made sense for me, and I don't feel any better after <laughs> this session. It's an abstinence video, Jason. That's
6: all. Yeah. This, you know, listening today, this makes me think about the separation of church and state. If it was for the government to not have so much say in the church, it bothers me that I'm watching the church bow and bend a knee to the government or to, to society in general. If we're supposed to cry loud and spare not, if the Bible says never let a rock cry out in your place. Why are we allowing other people to dictate the fact that you're a Christian and you can't speak up and speak out? I had a pastor say to me that one of his, his parishioners asked him, why didn't he say anything during the whole Roe v. Wade overturning. And he said, you know, that's not what God would have me to do. Well, what what does God have you to do if it's not speak against sin? Because faith cometh by hearing Mm. and hearing by the word of God. So if you're not teaching and preaching the word, what is your point? You are a waste of flesh at this point. Why are you here? Why are you even carrying the title of pastor or preacher if you don't want to preach the word? Sit down. You might as well be like the person in the club. It bothers me that we have we have uh, more ABC stores, we have more churches than we have ABC stores or liquor stores, but we got more drunks than we have Christians. What what are we doing? What 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 are you doing if you're not preaching the word and calling yourself a pastor or a man or woman of God? That I
1: thank you, thank thank you. Thank you. Great job. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com fearless. Uh, we're going to pivot back to a little more sports and Tom Brady, uh, somewhat sports. Tom Brady and Giselle seem to be headed toward divorce. Uh, Jill Savage and TJ Moe are going to talk with me about that first. And then Pastor Anthony and TJ and Dave Shannon are going to come back. We'll have some Tennessee Harmony where we'll continue the conversation of the fallout from Brady and uh, Giselle Bungeon getting divorced. all of that and more.
6: regrets hands for freedom.
0: Families have a lot going on.
1: Uh, Time to talk a little Tom Brady, Giselle Bungeon here to do that with me. TJ Moe back in studio with me. Jill Savage as well. Uh, Guys, yesterday I talked quite a bit about this with uh, Steve Kim. Uh, I made my position clear. I'm Team Giselle. Uh, I think Tom has been unfair here. He should retire. Uh, He told her he was going to retire and led her to believe he was going to retire. Paid six. Uh, The New York Post is reporting that Brady and Giselle have both hired divorce lawyers. Um, And and so I, I just wanna just start there in terms of my, the reason I'm team Giselle is because if you lead someone to believe that you're gonna retire and you're gonna start doing things differently as it relates to your family, that person sets up their expectations. Happiness is based on expectations. And you know this guy, after 39 days, like, yeah, I'm going to play football again. And again, I don't know if that's the primary reason they're getting divorced, but it is the reason why I'm Team Giselle. Uh, your, you guys' thoughts on, on this. I think it's, it's just another bad look. For, and I say another like there's a long list of them, but
4: it's he a bad a look for with, Tom Brady. With uh, yeah. Angela hand. Um, I'm not team Giselle. I'm not team Tom. I'm team marriage and team family. And so if you were trying to love your wife like Christ loved the church, you probably would have retired. And if you're trying to be a Proverbs 31 woman, you probably wouldn't be leaving him to go be a supermodel and say, hey, fend for yourself. Just didn't work out. And so um, my general contention is that this is the type of thing that happens when elites marry other elites. I don't think that people who are famous and rich and should marry, uh, actors should marry other actors, right? You should not marry another talk show host. It's like people who have status should marry normal people. This is why we hate Hollywood, because they've married other elitists and they live in this little bubble and talk each other into circles of stupidity. I would much prefer that you marry somebody who's normal, who can bring you back down to earth, and so this is a product of that.
0: TJ dropped that on me like two minutes ago before we came on and I was like, oh, you know what? I because we had a celebrity, should you date celebrity show, yes. right? And I said, I thought I think that celebrities should date other celebrities. But after hearing his explanation of this is why we hate Hollywood, you are making me rethink all of that now. Because it to me it was the it was the power structure and you need to be somebody that is seen as equal to you in, in the money and all of that, like just so that they understand your world. And he's like but don't make them understand your world. Make them right. understand the real world. They don't you understand normal people. I do think that if, if we had that going on throughout the country, we would be a better place. So I am definitely going to question my position on celebrities dating other celebrities after this. But if I had to say, I would still be team Giselle in this scenario only because Tom said he was going to do something. He then didn't, you know, according to page six, didn't really consult her and she wasn't, you know, she went out there and she put the nice Instagram message about, Oh, he's going to retire. We're so excited to be a family again. He unretires no word from her. It was, it's a pretty clear dynamic of of what's happening there. But yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to say you're going to do something. And after this long, and it's, it's difficult for athletes to retire. We get it. It's not a normal person problem, but for athletes, it is one of the biggest things that they go through in their life trying to step out from an NFL career back into whatever else. And we know, we know Tom's gonna be working as a broadcaster and ambassador for Fox, but that transition still could be very scary for him. But you know, at some point, it's not all about you, even if you're the man <clears throat> of the family.
4: And who's to say this is Giselle who is deciding on the divorce? Because that's part of our assumption that like <clears throat> Giselle's dissatisfied because Tom went back, and so she's like, mm, enough with this. I can't continue on with this marriage. Who's to say Tom didn't retire, and she said, all right, good, now it's my time to shine. You're gonna be the stay-at-home dad. And he's like, I'm just gonna go back and play football. This is, I'm not built to be a stay-at-home dad. And so, who's to say Tom isn't the one who actually decided, like, if this is how the marriage is gonna be, this isn't the marriage I wanna be in. Well, certainly,
1: living in separate homes, like it's been reported, I'm sure he didn't sign up for that, uh and that seems to be her decision. She's frustrated, wants to separate, and so if if you know guys if they've been separated for two months living in different homes and and Tom is you know likes to have the comfort of his wife <laughs> around i I could get the frustration I, i'm I'm with you in terms of like, hey, these guys have to be. Committed to a marriage and, and that legacy more than Tom's football legacy, which is already established. An eighth Super Bowl is not going to change his legacy. And so th- that's where I, I t- and again, a thousand percent speculation, and I don't want it to come across like I'm being hyper, hyper critical of Tom Brady, but I am being critical. I think Tom Brady has sold out. I think Tom Brady. Is different uh, from the guy let's say in 2009 2010 in New England I think if we look at Tom deciding to leave New England and Bill Belichick and want to do his thing his own way and have a bit more fun and have a bit more control over the offense and and to go out and prove a point the, the old team guy Tom thing is kind of out the window and I think we're looking at a narcissistic celebrity, uh, chasing legacy. And and I, I think the guy that uh, uh, had the MAGA hat as a lark in his locker room, that guy's dead. That guy is gone. <clears throat> there was some blowback for that. I don't think Tom liked it. And, and I think uh, when the NFL went woke as, demonstrably woke as it did, and quarterbacks are reliant on wide receivers, and the wide receiver room is 90% black, and 70% of the NFL is black. I think, and and Tom Brady's looking at what happened to Drew Brees, and I I just, I think we're looking at a guy not willing to, he he doesn't want to take that risk, and he's a different person. We're, We're, he's a celebrity now. He's just a celebrity and this celebrity couples break up, and I, the thing I used to love about Tom, and, and, and I did, I was a big fan, had a lot of respect for him, I thought he was different, is that, that I thought he really was kind of anti-celebrity culture. Uh, but now I, I think he's
4: just as much a celebrity as anybody else. I think there's a strong argument to be made that uh, Tom's the same guy he always was, and that was never necessarily a team guy. The team guy is what allowed him to get to the place where he was the greatest ever and that was, that was all his intention ever was. Right, he had to take less money to get better people around him so he could have another ring. So you, in the end, you're like, well, that's a team guy because he wanted to win a Super Bowl for the team. And but Tom wants to be the greatest ever. I've told you, the, the, um, I'm friends with a guy that played tackle for him on one of their Super Bowl teams. And he was telling me that you know, after they won their first Super Bowl, there was a 60 minutes moment. It was, it was the actual come to Jesus moment that a lot of people have. First year starter, you're a young kid, you win the Super Bowl as a nobody. You were a backup five minutes ago. And he got on 60 minutes and he's like, there's got to be more to it than this, Right. And that's when the Kurt Warners of the world, right, turn to Jesus and say, okay, that's it. Obviously, I've gotten to the pinnacle of where you could possibly be in this profession that's not going to satisfy me, and so I need Jesus. He didn't do that. He put his head back down in the sand and said, I want to be the greatest ever. And this is that legacy. This is a guy that's willing to sacrifice his family and his three kids to be separate from his wife, and it's just not that big of a deal. So we can have another two years and get two Super Bowls. So nobody can ever point out that it was a fluke. That he did it one year after Belichick and had the right guys. He's done it twice. And in guys like this, Michael Jordan's the same way. Look, the the top guys, they all get divorced, right? Michael Jordan's divorced, Elon Musk is divorced, Jeff Bezos is divorced, Bill Gates is divorced, Tom Brady's divorced now. It's like these top guys that when you get to the place where you're seeking after being the greatest ever. And you're so hyper-focused on that thing. You are willing to sacrifice everything. And it doesn't spare any families. All of these guys' wives see it. I've
1: been in that mentality as it relates to being a sports writer. And, again, it, you know, I'm 10 years older than Tom Brady, and I can tell him it ain't worth it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that career legacy and all that stuff, it's, it's just... It's not more important than family. This guy's got three young kids. That, that That's going to take a toll on them. And again, I can't put all the blame on Tom because I have no idea. None of us have any idea what the dynamics are. But, but I, I do think he's a bit too legacy obsessed. And, and I say that having been there. I stayed at the Kansas City Star. I'm about to be completely – I got in a pissing match with the Kansas City Star and stayed there five years longer than I should have to prove a point. To prove, it. it certainly in 2007, when I'm on Oprah Winfrey show, I should have left the Kansas City Star. I stayed three more years after that because I wanted to rub it, because the manager of the Kansas City Star did not want me to be successful. And I wanted to rub it in their face. He, I don't need you. I'm the greatest to ever do it. I, I wanted, that's why I wanted to win a Pulitzer Prize. And I, you know, I came close, I won that. Scripps-Howard deal, but uh, National Journalism Award or whatever. And they had this dude, Joe Posnanski, who, uh, you know, okay feature writer, uh, played loose with the facts or whatever. But that's who they were all into. And I just wanted to rub it in their face like, this dude ain't me. It ain't even close. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Should have left them people in the dust (laughs) and 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 moved on with my career and certainly moved, you know, the sacrifices I made in my personal life to have this career. And I love my career. And it's been good to me and it's, it's allowed me to be good to my family. But I I, I I made way too many sacrifices for my career. And I just see Tom Brady making the same mistake.
0: Yeah, I, I look at... When Tom was in New England, early on, everybody liked him. And then you get the, OK, we're, we're a little tired. We're a little fatigued of the Patriots winning all the time. I actually liked it at first when Tom went to Tampa Bay, and we got to see more of his personality. Because for the first time, it felt like we actually got to see who Tom was. But over time now that we, we do see this, he is just turning into more of a celebrity. But when you go back to the team aspect, because that's what it really was, in New England, you couldn't get away from it except he started to. He started to chip away with it. The TB12, right? Oh, I'm not going to deal with your trainers and your dietitians. They're going to have to come to me and my state of being and how I want to run my body. And Giselle's in on all this and he's eating the avocado ice cream Mm. and doing all the crazy things like that we just see, you know, the the Benjamin Button face of Tom Brady going going Mm. aging backwards. Um, But it is interesting because you do see somebody go through, and it's, it goes from a very normal person who didn't, it was so unassuming his first few years, to watch somebody in the public eye. And I thought that he did it very well for a very long time. So now it's just one of those things that it's, it's carried on and he never had, like you said, that come to Jesus moment. So he's, he's battling what do I do now? There, there are so many things that I want in life, but he hasn't prioritized, in my opinion, what will give him the next 10, 20 years of happiness. He's prioritizing this year and next year potentially.
4: So, <clears throat> what is it? Maybe he's got five years left. If the absolute greatest turn in history plays till he's 50, he's not playing into his you know, 55, 60, it ain't happening. So, the way Tom is aging, this dude's gonna live till he's 90. And so this, this is a conversation that I've had with, with my wife, that the way we, we wanna have at least four kids, I wanna have more, we'll see if I can convince her, right? And we know that raising kids is difficult. So when you're deciding, how many kids do I want now, which is gonna cost a lot of money and it's gonna be very difficult on your time constraints and all that, when you decide about these kids, you make the decision before you start having the kids about what you want your life to look like later. It's like m- my dad used to tell me uh, when I was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade first starting to work out, he's like, you don't wait until your alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning to decide if you're gonna work out then, you decide the night before. And then when the alarm goes off, you get your butt up and go because it's already been decided. That's the way I treat kids, right? I want these four or five kids, I, this is what my, I want my life to look like when I'm 70 or 80 and we're gonna go through whatever it takes to get there now. Tom needs that perspective. Anybody does, right? You have a short career ahead, right? Two years, maybe three. How about look like what you want your family to be like when you're 75 or 80? Because you've got a while to go here, and if you're taking care of your body in your future years the way you have, in your past years you're gonna be around, you're gonna be healthy, and you'd like to enjoy it, I would hope, with somebody that you've built this life with instead of now sharing four kids with two different women and whoever you decide to go date next
1: we will probably be 30 and in need of kids, although Steve Kim thinks he'll be 26, 27. Here was one of the first things that raised a red flag for me with Tom Brady. Not one of the first things, but another thing that raised a red flag with me with Tom Brady. I was shocked when he got on Twitter. And when he, uh, and that was in 2019. I was kind of like, this doesn't, uh, Tom Brady on Twitter or whatever? Michael Jordan doesn't have a Twitter account, I don't think. Uh, and and that kind of shocked me. And then when he did the Facebook documentary type mm-hmm. TV oh, yeah. show, uh, that shocked me. When he started going into the Matrix, because, again, th- th- there's some people... Take Charles Barkley, and he's not on social media. He's made it without social media, and so he won't burden himself with it. Tony Kornheiser, old enough, made it, doesn't need... so. And and like, I wish that I was far enough along in my career that I could just ignore social media. Tom Brady was definitely there. His legacy, nothing, wealth, anything, isn't tied to social media. But he got on anyway. He joined the Matrix. And again, that's where I go, where I think like, this is a different Tom Brady. He's just become another celebrity influencer. And so he's not someone of real great substance. He's a football player that wants to win as many Super Bowls as he possibly can and have statues erected of him as the greatest football player of all time. And that's all he cares about. And, you know, that type of effort, when you decide to marry a woman that's worth a half billion dollars, is going to lead to divorce. And that's why he should have married a waitress. Mm-hmm. And then he could do whatever he wanted to do, and he could play football as long as he wanted to Because, you know, a waitress would be like, well, I guess I would go back to Waffle House, or I could sit here and wait for Tom to quit playing football. She would have stuck it out.
4: <laughs> I think that's right. Also, when you have two very career-driven people, it's a, like... I'm sure when he got there, she's like, okay, I'm going back to being a supermodel. I only have X number of years left, and you're going to be a stay-at-home dad. And guys like Tom Brady are not wired to be a stay-at-home dad. That was never going to work. So if that was the expectation, it's something they should have had decided at the beginning. I couldn't be a stay-at-home dad. I've got a, I've got a one-year-old right now. Wouldn't happen. Well, I bet I bet, her default position was like, man,
1: this dude's going to keep playing football. I might as well care about my career just as much as he cares about his. Uh, you know, we. I think she thought their second career was going to be family, and uh, he—he's not. He's never wants to have a second career. He'll play
4: football as long as he's healthy enough to. I don't. He, I don't think so. I. I think she was. She put her career on hold and was ready to go back. The the
0: rumors were that she said, now it's time for me to resume my career. I have goals, interests, passions. I want to go back to do this. I think that's out of anger. It probably is.
4: Yeah. It definitely is now. But I wouldn't be surprised if she thought, hey, I've sacrificed for you, now you sacrifice with me. But that's a very poor family dynamic. That happens all the time, though. It doesn't make it right or
1: good. No, no, I get it. But that is... The dynamic we have today is what, you know, I'm not going to name any friends, but I've seen that play out amongst my friends. You had this. Now I get to do this.
0: And you don't look at the long term picture. That's what we've been saying here is Mm -hmm. if you could see what you want 20 years from now, you would live your life in a different way. But our society isn't geared towards you know, all, okay, you, you wait for that, and you sacrifice, and you will get your reward. No, it's instant gratification, it's fast food, it's Twitter, it's everything at your fingertips right now. And we haven't had that kind of cultural pushback to say, we need to step away from this, we need to spend less time on our computers and more time with our family and interacting in meaningful ways, and not just doing all these superficial things.
1: Let me ask both of you, we'll start with you, Jill, then we'll give TJ the final word. you think any of this will have any impact on his performance?
0: I do. If you're going to go through and be the elite athlete, they have mental coaches, they have strength coaches. It's all about how he's going to be wired in his head. And if things aren't right at home, he's already been taking days away from the team, and they just announced that he could have every Wednesday off where he doesn't have to practice. I think that's going to affect him mentally. Might help him. Oh.
4: Um, am I actually, this guy's crazy. And workaholics, when you don't have to go home and at least give the you know, fake hour to your wife every night, he's just gonna be studying more film and he's gonna spend more time. If he doesn't have the same time constraints, and, and keep in mind, this is a person who's willing to sacrifice his family for a two or three year football career. So I would imagine at this point, he's then going all-in on having more meetings and doing more things to prove like it matters that much more now that he gets this extra Super Bowl.
0: You're going the Michael Jordan route, and I took that personally. He's going to make anything up in his mind and use it.
4: I actually think it may help him. All right, uh, let's get to our approval rating
1: on Tom Brady. Uh, Job performance will start there. They're two and two, and I know he's got decent stats, and I know his receivers have been uh, hurt and banged up a bit. Uh, But I can't go higher than a twenty in job performance. They got a five hundred record. I give him twenty. Jill,
0: Uh, I mean, I'm not going off of the this year performance. I'm going lifetime performance. And this isn't a lifetime
1: achievement award, but go ahead.
0: Now, (laughs) he gets a twenty-four for me.
4: Twenty-four. Yeah, he's not 2 and 2. I think he's 7 and 3, and that's a Super Bowl record. Um, <laughs> he gets a 2 and 2 right now. Job, it's a job performance right now. It's an instant gratification award, but I, go ahead. You got him perfect. I'm he sure. is the greatest quarterback to ever do it. He, he right now is doing it with uh, Godwin, whose shoulder doesn't work, Mike Evans, who finally came back last week after getting thrown out the week before. Um, his tight ends are hurt. There's nobody there. And he's still making a game against the Chiefs when they're at their very best. Pretty decent. Without Tom Brady, they lost that game by 50. All right. Uh, TJ's guy, I'm at a 25. All right, let's go to character.
1: Uh, I'm right, you know, toward the middle here. I, I'm not going all in on Tom about this divorce because I don't know the details. Uh, but it is a, looks to be a failed marriage. Uh, I've already ripped him earlier this week for inviting Antonio Brown into his home. Uh, this guy only cares about winning, so I gave him a 14 in character.
0: I did 16, I'm right with you, like right there in the middle somewhere, not too high, not too low, because we don't know all of the details, but I wanna be an optimist. I want to think the best of Tom Brady. Now again, if this was Tom in New England, that number would probably probably be way lower. I, like, I liked the Tom Tampa Bay at the beginning. That's what I'm holding on to here.
4: My number would be higher if he was in New England. I'm going with a 10 here. I actually don't think he's a real high-character guy. Uh, He had a kid early on with, what's her name? Bridget Moynihan. Bridget Moynihan, I think is it Angela before. Bridget Moynihan. Could have married her. Wasn't a big enough deal that he has now, I think, a 15-year-old son. Moved on to marry the number one supermodel in the world. Still wasn't enough to sacrifice with her to stop his career from two more years. And so he's now moving on again. I also didn't really like his exit from New England. I think he should have finished his career there, shown some loyalty. I gave him a 10. All
1: right, like the authenticity, uh, I'm I'm starting to wane on how authentic Tom Brady is. Uh, I, I, again, as I've been saying here, I just think he's another celebrity influencer. So I gave him a 15 in authenticity.
0: I went with a 14, and it's, it's all wrapped up in like the TB12 and the flashy stuff. Like, I just don't like it, and I don't think it's, like, it's real to him. But is it really authentic to him, or is it what he's just trying to show everybody? I, I can't get past that. Uh,
4: I gave him an 18, and <clears throat> I actually think he was less authentic in his early years. The, the Tom Brady we, who we thought he was, I'd have given him you know, uh, a much lower score based on that. The more stuff that comes out, the more he reveals himself. I think it's authentic. Can, can you be more authentic than saying, without actually saying it, but by hiring divorce lawyers, you've just told us this, I care about football more than I do my own family.
1: <sighs> yeah, I guess that's
4: it factor. I
1: don't like that he's aging backwards. And <laughs> Women probably love it uh i don't Sign like me up it. For that yeah let's go <laughs> i don't like it i got all this gray in my hair and tom brady just looks like he's 18 so i knocked him one point on it factor i gave him a 24 instead of a perfect 25. i mean he, he's a big deal uh, so I had to go high. I give him a 24, though. He's aging in the wrong direction.
0: There's no more it than Tom Brady. He is the it factor. Everybody knows him. I mean, whether you like it or not, if, if he's turning into this celebrity, like you say, and he is, he's it. He is the it man right now. 25. Well, let me
1: let me let me cut to the chase here, Jill. If Tom Brady hops in your DMs, are you responding?
0: <laughs> well, he's not even sticking with Giselle, so I don't know. Like, that seems that seems exhausting.
4: Maybe <laughs> short term, you just know what you're signing up yeah. for. Uh, um, so my icebreaker, when you know you go into a new group and they say, tell us something interesting about yourself, mine is always that I've showered with Tom Brady. Oh That's gosh. how much of an it factor this person is. And so he gets a 25. All right. I have, uh, I have showered shower with Tom Brady. Just so
1: I've you. got him at a 73. He you slides guys,
0: into TJ. Jill has it's him at different. a
1: 79, 78. I got him as a grease fire. You guys got him as a smoke, smoke show. show. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably more. After. I would use
0: that word for Tom Brady.
1: Smoke show. You would? Yeah. Were? yeah. Right, I believe it. All right, we're going to get into some Tennessee harmony next. welcome back. Time for some Tennessee Harmony, and we got a packed house. Uh, Pastor Anthony Walker here with us as always. Uh, T.J. Moe and Dave Shannon in studio with me as well. Uh, We're going to talk about Tom Brady from a more biblical perspective. Uh, Before we do that, we'll ask that uh, Pastor Anthony bless the conversation, and then we'll get into it.
8: Father God, we're so thankful for this day and all of the blessings that you've given us. Father, bless us in this discussion. Uh, Father, we pray that much will be gained and that you will be glorified. We're thankful in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: All right, amen. Uh, I want to start here, and, and Anthony, I'm going to ask you to go last because you're going to be the final authority here. But we've been talking about Tom Brady and Giselle Bungeon and and i think a lot of people someone like myself would be would sit there and kind of go hey they're kind of equally yoked they're both power couples and blah 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 and 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 then i said that to myself this morning i go well hold on what does equally yoked mean and that's what will give anthony final say so but i want to TJ and Dave, you guys are both married. You're both Christians. What does equally yoked mean to you? Dave, we'll start with you and then we'll head over to the other side.
7: Yeah, so growing up in a charismatic church, it was always um, understood that equally yoked means marrying someone or being with someone who held a Christian worldview and perspective just like you did. So if you were going to marry a woman, you didn't want to marry someone that was outside of the Christian faith. You wanted to marry someone that was inside the Christian faith. And and Pastor Anthony, I'm sure I've heard him talk about this before on the show. I'm sure he's going to do a great job talking about it again today. But ultimately, it's the idea of pulling the weight equally together. There was an Old Testament idea about... two animals, two ox, not to tie a donkey to an ox so that they could actually bear the weight. The ox would be move further or faster than a donkey and it wouldn't be even and so you didn't get the grain or the work done that you need to get done. It was unequally yoked, they can't run together well. And so if you put the ox and the ox together, they could be yoked together through this piece of equipment, a yoke, that would bind them and they would be equal to be able to do the work that they needed to do together. And that was used and taught to us to say, when you marry someone, you want to make sure that they share with you the same biblical worldview and ideas so that you can run together, be sanctified together, operate and work together in the things of God and in the world, pulling the same kind of weight and worldview.
4: That's a great analogy. My understanding is, is the same or at least similar. Um, Practically, it is being with another believer so that you guys have a, an objective morality, right? So we both agree that the Bible is correct. And so we may have our different opinions, but there's an objective morality right here. We can go to it. So we're talking about divorce. Well, what's the Bible say about divorce? Well, without infidelity, there's no excuse for divorce. And so we can both go to that. We both have the same values, the same ideas, and the biblical worldview that Dave was talking about, so that we can go to this objective morality and follow that together. Otherwise, you're always, again, subjective morality. It's just, what are you Mm -hmm. feeling today? Who's got the more compelling argument? And once you start going down that road, it's destined to fail because there is no final say-so. The the better arguer is always going to win, and then the other person's just gonna bow out.
1: And so, Anthony, before we hear from you, I think the world, and as kind of like equally yoked, does she have a career, like you have a career? We've added all these worldly values to it. But anyway, I want Mm -hmm. you to be the final authority here. Yeah, Equally yoked.
8: They've handled it well. When Paul mentions that, he's referring, as Dave talks about, he's referring to the concept of a yoke and and what function we're serving but the function uh, the foundation behind our function is what that yoke is going to be so if we are have a foundation of my belief is in god and he's if we ever get in any kind of bind if we ever get in any kind of issue we're both going to be pulling with this understanding of god but if you don't have any belief system or anything related to god and i'm pulling from god When adversity comes, we're not going to be able to make it through this. So Paul contextually is dealing with this as a principle that we need to be careful who we engage in relationship with, engage in marriage with. Because if we are unequally yoked, we're pulling from a different source. As Dave pointed out, I'm going to be pulling more and you're not going to be pulling or we may even be pulling in different directions. I'm going faster, et cetera. So Paul is dealing with that concept. And and yes, it plays a major role because of all the relationships that we get in. Marriage is the closest and longest lasting that we're going to be involved in. And we need to be pulling from the same foundation.
1: Don't want to. I'm reluctant to have us discuss this from a non-biblical perspective. But it leads me to want to ask. These other things that the world puts on, are any of them relevant or are are they concerns like in terms of, well, are you both educated at the same level, Uh, do you have, because I've heard people talk about that, I've heard people talk about, well, her family has this kind of background and your family has this kind of background, y'all weren't equally yoked, because. You know, I can hear people saying, and, and again, it's like an issue that I've run across is like, okay, uh, my parents are divorced, so I didn't have the greatest example of, of how to sustain a marriage. And then you may be dating someone whose parents have been married for 50 years, and her questions may be, well, Jason hasn't really seen it when the going gets tough, blah, blah, blah. So there's all these other things that the world has added to it. Are any of them relevant or is it really just do you have a biblical worldview and and nothing else matters?
8: They're relevant, but your faith, your biblical worldview will be the filter through which you see all of that. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, money is a tool. Uh, and, And however we best use this tool and however we function with it, it just serves its purpose as a tool. However, if I see money as a means to gather my identity, my worth, my value and not God's word, then yes, money's going to be a huge issue in our marriage because you're pulling from it from a hey, I make the most this or I do the most this. Whereas from a biblical space and what God is looking at, he cares more about what our spiritual life is about. And all of these other things will find their place. So they're still relevant issues, but the yoke contextually, what he's talking about, is from our foundation, our understanding of what we're really pulling from. If they're both equally yoked and pulling in God, and I think TJ was referring to this, we're gonna come to the conclusion well, what does God have to say? Mm. We're not going to be concerned about what the world says or what they think or my history, my past. And you went through this. What does God's word say? And we're going to land on that when we both have that same uh, belief system. Uh, We're
1: going to be speculating here a little bit. But I want us to do it because we don't know the details on what's going on in their marriage. But from afar, like this guy is hyper committed to his football career. And so I'm one of all three of you guys are married, obviously all three of you believers. What is the where do you all land on like Brady's commitment to football? And again, we're speculating, we don't know if it's factual, but let's assume that his commitment to football and extending his career is perhaps frustrating her and she wants a little more home family balance and had these expectations that football was over. Where, and Dave, we'll start with you, where, where do you land on that in terms of how you conduct your career and, and your thoughts, I guess, on, on Brady's perhaps overvaluing of this football career over his family life?
7: Yeah, whew, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a huge yeah, question, a, man. On. Yeah, so let me let me start at a couple different. Let me start at this one place. When I go into a situation, when it comes with marriage, the first thing that I know before I ever walk into the room, before I ever examine the the facts of the situation, I know one thing for sure: whatever is going on, it's the man's responsibility. I don't even have to hear the rest of the case to know whose fault it is. But I know it's the man's responsibility of the marriage and the situation. I know that for a fact. So whatever is going on with him and his wife is his responsibility. Mm. When it it comes to um, whether, and let me say this too, Jason, uh, I think we need to back up for a second and remember what we're talking about. Uh, You asked earlier if we can talk about, uh, you know, the secularization of the being married and being unequally yoked. I want to remind us that when we're talking about marriage, we're not talking about a secular institution. We're talking about a Christian institution. So it's hard to even talk about marriage apart from Christianity because it's a Christian institution itself. So everybody has to bring Christian worldview to it when they think about it. Being the case that it is a vow that people make when they come into union with each other, uh, he makes a vow to her, And she makes a vow that both of them lifetime vows to each other. So he's made a vow that I have a vision and a place that I'm going to take us and lead us to that is going to be victorious for God's name that's where we're going. I have that vision. She says, you know what? I love the vision. I love where you're going. I'm going to come underneath that vision and make sure I support you getting there. So when they sign up for marriage, if there ever was a time to leave, it was before they vowed to come together underneath that covenant. Mm -hmm. They come underneath that covenant. It's death to you part. So nobody gets to leave. You signed up for this and you signed up to take them somewhere. So Brady You know, when he's deciding to do football, did she not know that that was what he was signing up to do, that that was where he was going to go, that was going to be the focus? She signed up to come underneath and submit underneath that mission. Now, could he be selfish and moving too far and forgetting about his family? Absolutely. But she still signed up for all of that. Right. And so in one sense. Is it being too much? Yes. But I'm here for that. I'm going to pray that you start seeing that the value of our family and the vows that you made to me are greater. You didn't walk Tampa Bay Buccaneers down the aisle. You walked with me at that Mm -hmm. aisle, made a covenant with me till death do we part. So I'm not leaving you even though you're acting insane. He says, you know what, that kind of pulling me back to you is pricking my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit in your prayer life that I'm saying, you know what, this is my last football toss. I'm the halftime is over. I'm going home, y'all. I'm thinking about my (laughs) wife. I'm done. Right. That's the attitude that marriage brings to whatever's going on outside in your work life or in your in your home life is that I made a vow to this woman to do something. And he has a look and say, have I accomplished that vow and setting a vision for us? I think I have. I think I have, I'm done. But you don't get to leave if he decides to stay. You know, those two things, that vow is the thing that holds them together above all, regardless of what one is not doing or is doing.
3: Mm.
4: That was a really good day. (laughs) So, Just to be fully transparent, I struggle, this is my biggest struggle in marriage, and that is, I love to work. And Mm. I I have a real estate business that I do, we own a couple of Smoothie Kings that I own and operate, and I love doing this. I'm here here today, be here for a couple days, I'm gonna be back Monday, right? I love all of it. I also love my family. And Mm. so there's a serious battle in my head all the time, am I spending enough time with my family? And you lean into your wife to help be your sounding board for that, and let you know, because for her, she wants us to build all this stuff, too. It's, it's raising her quality of life. We're doing this is a form of ministry, what we're doing here. There's a lot of really good stuff involved. But also, the first stuff that gets neglected is your family. When I'm here, I'm not tucking my daughter in at night. And, so that, and those are memories, right? And, it, and so there is a serious balance there. And so for the two of them, this is, this is why I said before. It's like Team Giselle or Team Tom. I'm yeah. Team Family. Yeah. I'm, I'm team marriage. And so the Bible says, wives submit to your husband. And it says, husbands love your wife, like God loved the church. And so if you're both doing that, it's both a form of submission, right? Um, it is you, you are taking what, how do you love God any more than he loved the church? So you're just aiming to get close somewhere there. It's mm-hmm. really easy to let up a couple of years of a football career if that's your aim. And if as you're both aiming, right, it's like, you ever been around those people that are too generous and won't ever let you pay for a meal? And you're like, at some point, I'm going to have to pay for this meal. Right. It's like, help me out Those are the people that you want to be around, right? Same thing with your family. If, if your wife is always picking up the slack, you want to end up giving more instead of having a nagging wife who's like, hey, if the house ain't clean, I mean, you're not here, I'm not doing it, right? And so if you're both, again, this is why you need the, the uh, objective morality. If you can follow what the Bible says, it always puts you in position to succeed.
8: You wanted speculation, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's what I see, and, and and again, we're speculating. When he and Giselle got married, his career had just kind of started taking off. And sometimes in marriage, you know, we have to leave room for growth because in those vows that Dave brings up, there's for better or worse. Uh, you know, we hear about the for better, but for better could be And I could end up, you know, getting better at what I do and you could get better at what you do and things could grow. So he's just now on the rise. She says and speculating. She says, you know, I've got my career, but I'm willing to kind of put that on hold for the family. You know, let you do what you need, because I can't do my career and you doing yours. So I'll do this. You know, football careers, you know, Seven, eight years quarterbacks, you know, maybe 15 years. Okay, we can do that. He becomes statistically great, you know, great in in all these different eyes. And then she's like, all right, we've done this thing. So now and, and even in her life, I believe there has been some shifting of, you know, you look at her, you know, social media posts. Most of her posts are all about family and kids. So maybe even she's shifted from modeling career, supermodel career to, man, I'm family now. And so now it is, okay, Tom, you know, we about ready to call it on this. Let's do this family thing together because that was what was involved in those vows. It wasn't the Patriots. It wasn't, you know, Elle magazine. It wasn't none of that. It was them. Patriots end and Giselle is more than likely like, okay, let's do it. Here we are. He says, yeah, I know it. But but I, I got to OK. All right. Go back and, and, and do you a couple more years. But remember, you've got a son that's about to be a teenager. And, and you know, sometimes as parents, we think as they get older, they need less. I know they need more time for you at that time. And so then after that. All right. He won. Good. Ah, let me see if I can do it one more time. All right. After this, we're done. And then he retires. And it's like, all right. And then there's that burn in him to say, ah, I don't know, maybe I think I can do it. Well, I just hate to lose on it. And, and that's where we begin to hear all of this battle. And, and what Giselle is really saying, Tom, you've been the great quarterback for these teams, but we need you to be the quarterback here at home. We need you to be the quarterback and lead this team to greatness. You've done it there. Lead this one to greatness. And he's still chasing uh, after that. Uh, I'll say this briefly. You know, when T.J. talks about that time, I'm having issues with that word or that phrase that we use. Time is money. Yeah. From a business sense, time is money. But money doesn't replace time. So when he is out doing all of that and, and, and even us, you know, men and fathers here, we have to make kind of that. Balance and sacrifice that, hey, at some point I'm going to have to say no to this speaking engagement. I'm going to have to say no to this stuff because I will never be able to get back first game or best game or night prayer and tucking. I will never get that back. Uh, So anytime we pursue greatness, we're going to sacrifice something. And you don't want that sacrifice to repeatedly be your family. Anthony, I'm going to ask this follow-up and not ask,
1: I'm going to ask it more generally, not specific to you. Sure. But being a quarterback of an NFL franchise, to me, particularly as I listen to you unpack that, I think there's a lot of similarities to running a church. Absolutely. And and the demands and the... Yeah. Because you got this whole other congregation you're leading while also trying to lead a home. Yeah. And so I see what Brady going through ministers. Yes. Whether they got mega churches, small churches, whatever, having to make all the same decisions.
8: Yes. Yes. And it's how do
1: you get your wife on board with that? Because the dynamics can change. You could start out. Well, we started out, baby. It was a church of 50 people. Right. Now it's a church (laughs) of 5,000.
8: And that's a whole different animal. So going back to what Dave said, I have to remember that my first church is my family and that God would not call me to save his bride and lose my bride. Mm, (laughs) He's not going to cause me to save somebody else's kids to lose my kids. He knows the story. The balance has to become, and, and here's why, let me just share this Jason. Here's why, as you pointed to ministers and I'm, prepared to talk about this. I don't want my children to resent God or to resent the church because they can look at it. If I'm giving all of my time and attention to man, I got to build this and, and God is doing this and I, and I got to work on this. They're going to grow up looking at the churches. Man, every time daddy's phone rings, he's going to them and those families and he's not at our stuff. So what I have to do consistently is pray and be in constant consultation with God and humble submission to God to say, hey, God, you know, some of my goals and aspirations, but I want all of my stuff to fall underneath your stuff. And I trust God at his word. He's not going to have me working in the kingdom to build it and lose my family at the same time. He will not do that. So that's where that kind of humility comes. I think TJ had kind of said it before or or Dave even said it where sometimes I struggle with if I say no, I feel like, oh, man, but what will happen to God's got them just like he's got me. And so that no, um, I preached it on Sunday when we know better, K-N-O-W, we know better, N-O, better. I say no a whole lot better now because I have a family.
7: Yeah, I was going to say, too, we have to remember biblically the thing that validates him to hold the office of the church is his family. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what we miss. And we need to bring it from the church all the way into everything else of life. I want to know how a man treats his family. Can he cultivate that garden there? Because if he can't cultivate that garden there, it is required that he does that in order to be able to be a pastor. Yeah. And if yeah. he can't do that, then he's not even qualified to hold the office. And we need to think like that, not just in, in the church, but also
1: in politics and in business. Hmm. You just took, oh, I wasn't planning to go there. there. You just <laughs> took me to Herschel Walker yeah. in the conversation we just had yesterday with Royce. I, I think Herschel Walker's Failures with his family, horrible look, it is. and, and yeah. it, it disqualifies dis- most of
4: Congress, though. Huh? Disqualifies most not, of Congress. I'm not mad at that. Though. Let's do it. It. Let's
8: it. I'm with you. It
4: does. Raphael <laughs> Warnock's wife right now is accusing him of abuse, right? So yeah. that's his opponent. So I'm just saying this. That's politics. But you're exactly right. But say, if I'm, we but if we
8: take it back to family and mm-hmm. cultivating family, where where. He's really taking care of the the family, the organization that God makes sure, hey, grow this, tend to this, protect this, serve this. Then we know Mm -hmm. he can serve Congress. Then Mm -hmm. we know he can serve. I mean, what greater leader. And that's where I'm saying even with with Tom, like. You have done all that you could statistically. His records are so far pushed out of there, and I know there's old Patrick. still won't call Patrick. the greatest ever. Well, <laughs> I won't do it, but he's he's pushed it so far out there that even these young guys come, they won't be able to reach those
4: numbers. So let me play devil's advocate for a minute. And, oh, shoot. I'm, and I'm thinking about this in real time, but I'm going to argue on Tom's behalf. Shoot, um, Couldn't he make the argument that, like, Five months out of the year, I'm tied up. Four or five months out of the year, I'm tied up. I'm home more than any other dad in the history of time, Mm -mm. those other seven months. And during those five months that I'm tied up, I'm still home. I'm not traveling. We got half the time, it's home games. I'm home for dinner most nights. And then when we're traveling, we travel for two, three days. He probably brings the family there at all the games. He probably sees them. At this point in time, I think Jill said, he's getting Wednesdays off. He has a totally different schedule. Most people in the history of the world are out hunting all day long. They're not sitting in the home uh, raising the kids. That's the wife's job. And there are still tons. It's not of the kids. wife's job, but I hear you. Yeah, Go well, ahead. Uh, well, it actually has been the wife's job throughout history, though. No, no. And but a we're, stuff. we're having a biblical conversation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: With,
7: I'm going to take, take your pitch yeah. because I don't think any quarterback can say that in the NFL. I'm here more than everybody else. No, you got to perform it shows up on the field. You got to win. When your wife is not happy, I don't care how much time you're spending there when you're supposed to be cultivating that ground. It's like, well, I'm gardening all the time, but do you have any fruit in that garden? Ooh. And so I, I, and we would never in any other business, wait, man, I look at the stock markets all the time. I'm on the stocks. You don't make no money. So it really don't <laughs> matter what you do if you're there well, all but the it's time.
4: Expectations is what I'm getting at, right? So is yeah. it because, oh, well, we got plenty of money. You could just retire now. Well, it, no, no, no. I, I, TJ, I hear you. I hear you. Again, playing devil's advocate. No, I'm thinking no, no, through no, it no, in no. real time. I got, I got, He's like, don't send them way. I, what I could say yeah, I think you should retire. But even,
8: right. even, even to look at it in, you know, Jason brings up ministers, I could look at it in my perspective. When I'm, you know, my family, they attend my church, right? But daddy's at work. Mm-hmm. And when people are coming and talking to me, yeah, I'm still daddy, but daddy's at work. Like, am I really there? And, and the other side to this that I would argue, even with Tom, when you say, you know, well, he's at home more than any other dad. She's going to be dealing with homework and, you know, curiosity and questions. She's hearing all day long, mom, 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 while he is studying playbook and analyzing tendencies and going all that kind of stuff. And then after the season, he's vacation dad. Oh, he's a loads of fun then. And he will do that all summer long. And then she's got a deal and he's got a deal. She's, I believe, saying, as we speculated, she's like, look here, you need to be here helping with the homework sometimes.
4: You need to well, be... Well, that's speculation. He could prisoner. be helping with he homework. Could, he, he could, could that, be doing yeah, a lot of... That's what we're speculating. But I'm saying you're very yeah. much speculating in one direction. We, we, you, I, you, I'm he speculating. could easily be super he dad, which be. a lot of these guys are, who be. are helping raise their kids, and you would not ask a coal miner who's gone a sure. certain amount of weeks out sure. of here and all that, hey, baby, it's time to come home. I know <laughs> we're going to be poor, but yeah. I, it's time to come home. Forget your man's job. And Tom, what he's saying is, I'm providing. I know we got millions of dollars and we're good, but this is what a man does. You go and you work. And this okay. is where I get my fulfillment.
7: Yeah, especially say gotcha. somebody gotcha. in the military, right?
4: Right. That's gotcha.
7: who in the military. They go out and they fight for us. I'm totally fine they with that. got them. it. That's why my point is, yes, you might have a job that might take you out of the family, but you're still responsible for cultivating, cultivating that family. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter even how much time. If you need to spend more time, to spend more time. What matters is the fruit that's coming out of that. And if the fruit that's coming out of your marriage is divorce, then you have to take responsibility for how Ooh. you've been nurturing that yeah. garden, regardless of how much time you've been spending
4: there. And secondarily, because I agree with that 100%, secondarily, you may be doing everything right and you married somebody who you're not equally yoked with. Because somebody may have very unreasonable expectations Possibly. and you don't have this, this uh, objective morality and it's like she's just decided this is the way it's going to be and there is no talking her out of it. Yes, but I don't
7: want to take the responsibility and the leadership away from a man to cultivate a woman who doesn't even like the place she's in right now. We I want to remember that we're having the man look and act like Christ who has a bride that didn't want to be with him. Mm. And he went and died for her and brought her into conformity with him. We carry that responsibility like you quoted Ephesians earlier. I'm husband. going there. <laughs> I'm going. There. So we when we talk about responsibility, the house is a mess. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it, but it's our house
4: right.
8: and we have to clean it up mm-hmm. and we can clean it up. Let me share that passage, Jason. I'm gonna go. Ephesians five twenty-two through thirty-three is the full context, but I'll look at a couple of them that, that TJ even brought up. Verse 22, he says, Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the head and the savior of the body. Ephesians five twenty-five. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself For her. Now before I get to the last verse, I just want to, you know, deal with that. He's as as Dave just pointed out, he's loving the bride. And when we think about the church, we're not always the best bride to Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) We we are we've talked back, we're disobedient, we're not submissive, we don't do it. But he loved us in spite of us, and that's how we're to love our wives. So there is a point where yeah. I could say, well, she don't do, she don't do, she don't do. And Jesus is looking down and saying, and (laughs) like you don't do, you don't do. do. okay." but then notice what Paul does at the end of this, which is what really this is one of the things I share whenever I marry couples. Verse 32, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Mm. So, Paul, I don't have the time to really deal with this, but I'll just share this, Jason. Paul spends several verses digging deep into this husband and wife dynamic. And if you were sitting in the assembly, listening to this be read, you're gonna be listening and saying, man, okay, I get what husband's supposed to do. Yeah, okay, I get wives are supposed to do this. And then he says, and guys, while you think I'm talking about marriage, I'm really talking about the church. So now we got to go back and listen to everything under this understanding that marriage. Is a ministry. It's an evangelistic effort that anybody that comes across our marriage should learn about Christ and his church. That's our marriage. So then that that Mm. humbles me. And I think it should humble every couple. To really when you're struggling in marriage and there will be struggles no matter what, as we grow, as we change, as we add kids, as we have different jobs, choose different ventures. We have to keep coming back to this to understand, wait, but this is a ministry. Somebody's going to look at us and they're going to learn about Jesus just by watching us. And if they look at us and see, man, when time got tough. They just called it quits. Mm-hmm. Irreconcilable mm-hmm. differences. When time got to, and that's not the Jesus that comes to us. He comes to us in spite of us. While we're nailing him to the cross, he's pleading on our behalf. And, and that's where, you know, and I think, you know, we, we have our perspectives, but I think at the end of the day, what we're all saying here is, wait a minute, Tom, Giselle, no matter what you guys are fighting over, we should be looking at the family.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: <laughs> it's not modeling career. It's not stats. It's not his career. Her. Career, we got to look at wait, What's really at value here? Because those kids now are even going to learn something from this. Mm-hmm. They're going to learn how do we function with life and marriage when it gets tough? I, you know, I get what to some level. The struggle that some men have as the balance of time—I deal with it myself, so I, I get it. I get sometimes, and, and you know, hearing my wife and, and really listening intently, I get what they feel like sometimes while we're gone all day, you know, dealing with. And they say, "Man, but we've been—I've been here. I need you." Sometimes, you know, we just need each other. Apart from kids, we need that time. You know, how much of that time is time? You know, like so we've been speculating, but if that has been cultivate it well. If he's been there, that will kind of extend some of that grace. It can. Mm-hmm. But if it's not and you know, obviously we're seeing some seeds of this. So again, I'm saying all that to say we got to pull back and look at, hey, our marriage should be a ministry that points to Jesus.
1: I got time very quickly. I want to squeeze one more thing in. I want to apologize to people back in Dallas, but I do want to squeeze one more thing in. I'm going to give TJ and Dave, 30, 45 seconds to answer this question. Anthony, you can take a little longer. Uh, Spouses. (laughs) Yeah. What advice, or men that are watching, what advice would you give a driven man, career-oriented man, what advice would you give him about potentially marrying a woman that also has a, career-based, life-driven career. I'm someone that uh, never really wanted to be with a career woman. Just didn't think it would work for me. Uh, But what are your thoughts? What is the Bible? Maybe the Bible has a position on this. What do you think about someone like Tom? I I say, say Tom Brady has no business marrying some supermodel. With a a huge career, he should have married a homemaker.
7: Yeah. um, So real quickly, there's two things I want to think about. Um, The metaphysics of a woman. Who is she and what is she for? I want to marry a kind of woman that knows she's a woman and knows what she's for and fears God above all because i don't care what her career is if she's a woman who knows what she is and what she's for she will easily jump underneath the mission that you have and will be all in on having kids raising kids and seeking to raise those kids in the fear raise those kids in the fear and admonition of the lord i don't care what her career necessarily is i would say be careful of certain environments or places where it's not godly for a woman to be. Let's just put those outside of that category. But if a woman is working and she fears God and wants to be a woman that loves her husband, find that one. Find her. Not the one who is uh, not concerned about being a woman who knows what she is and knows what she's for and doesn't fear God. Those things, you run
4: from that. Uh, this, is, this is not a biblical take. It's so just my own deal. <clears throat> um, my wife, I, she's told me this, married me because I was driven. And so that was part of her attraction to me. And so it's a little easier for her to deal with knowing that mm-hmm. I love to work, right? She knew that and that part, of, part of that is an innate desire that God gave women, that men are supposed to be the providers. Well, when you see a, a really driven man, you're probably gonna be provided for and that all makes sense to him. Um, but it can always go too far and I'm guilty of it going too far. And so you, you sort that out at the beginning. The, the amount of conversations we had, we went through marital counseling and all that, but prior to that, I had been through personal counseling myself, doing self-discovery and all that, and you learn how, how to have open dialogue, engage in these conversations like, hey, what do you want to be a mom? What kind of mom do you want to be? Are you interested in having a career? Is that more important to you than ever staying home? What does this look like to you? What are your real desires? They may change, but today. How do you see this going? Because I know I thought through my life at this point and I know I think I'm going to be working and I'm probably going to be working several jobs and doing different things. And so when you have those upfront conversations, it's much easier in year six to go back and say, so this is where we were before. Are you still in the same place?
8: Going back to unequally yoked uh, in the foundation of what we how we make our decisions. um, It takes a lot of spiritual maturity for both spouses if they decide to be driven. Okay, but if we're understanding, I'm loving what David's saying here, we're understanding what God is doing through our marriage, we're understanding what we're to do as a man, as a woman, let that be the filter through which we see everything. Um, From a practical sense, we have to ask the questions and we have to give the grace and space For growth, I can say even from a personal standpoint, I didn't know that my ministry would be where it is at this point when we got married 14, 13 years ago. So if I wanted
1: 13 or 14 years ago, your wife, OK,
8: 13 years ago, if I if I (laughs) wanted if I wanted to be um, where I was then and I wanted her to be where she was then then if any change happened, that's gonna really rock us. So from a practical sense, we have to give each other that grace and space to grow. And then as TJ just brought up, which is a part of the counseling that I give, we have to make checkups on this every so often to say, okay, hey, some things have changed. When we got married, my wife was working a professional job, I'm working in ministry, et cetera, we have a child Things change. Perspective change. She's like, you know, I love this job. I love what I do, but I really want to stay home and take care of the kids. Like I, and if I do that, even in that sacrifice, it helps you to be able to do even more of what you do. Like it all function. Mm-hmm. But if if I was the well, man, you were bringing in X amount of dollars a month. And I'm so we have to give each other that grace and space to grow. It can be done. But it can be difficult as well without a spiritual base and mm. foundation. Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome job, guys. Awesome show today. Uh, wow, we had a marathon show. Uh, I hear some harmony playing. That means we'll see you tomorrow.
3: How did we end
0: up so divided? Stop. To be a nation, one united Now we're headed for downfall
3: Tell